Hey, if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn with me, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Uh, communion time, we spend a concerted time dealing with the sacrifice of Jesus, and today is no different. In 1 Corinthians 5, Paul the Apostle was writing to a church he dearly loved. It was a church that was a good church, a vibrant church. But they were a church that was becoming proud over their tolerance, much like what's happening in the world today. Tolerance over sin that should be confronted. Because sin destroys everything it touches. And Paul said, look, I'm glad that you are forgiving and compassionate, but you're allowing things in your body. You're not helping them, and it's going to spread like yeast throughout your whole church. So he writes this in 1 Corinthians 5 about a man who is carrying on an immoral relationship with his father's wife, apparently his stepmom. And in so doing, Paul calls them back to remember who they were, why they were cleansed of sin through Christ, the Passover lamb, the one we're remembering today at communion. Here's how Paul set the context for him in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 1. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that even pagans do not tolerate. A man is sleeping with his father's wife, and you're proud. Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning and have put out of your fellowship the man who's been doing this? For my part, even though I'm not physically present, I'm with you in spirit. As one who is present with you in this way, I have already passed judgment in the name of our Lord Jesus on the one who's been doing this. So when you are assembled and I'm with you in spirit, and the power of our Lord Jesus is present, hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batched, just as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with the old bread leavened with malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Let's pray together. Father, these words seem so foreign in our politically correct world today. We're so afraid of judging anything that we allow sin to continue without realizing it's killing the people who are involved in it, and it can spread like a cancer and a yeast, you said, throughout an entire body and eventually a nation. We're not judgmental when we're calling people to account for their good and for the good of your body and for the sake of your name. And the reason we do this is we realize that as Christians, we're not perfect, but we are saved, saved from sin, covered in the blood of the Passover lamb, Jesus Christ himself. And Lord, as we come to this table today, as we come to remember you and your sacrifice, Help us to remember that you're our Passover lamb, and by your blood we are forgiven. And we thank you for all that you'll show us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. It is a festival that the Jews in Jerusalem and around the world actually have been celebrating for more than 3,500 years. It is the Passover. It's a time for them to remember the night of their deliverance from Egyptian bondage by God's mighty hand. Because of some very thoughtful 
and generous nature of some friends of ours, Carla and I were able to be in Jerusalem during a Passover season a few years ago. And I can tell you, it is something the Jews there take very seriously. As the Passover approached, there were signs that began to appear in the lobby of our hotel asking us to purge all yeast from our hotel. So they asked us, be sure you don't bring in breads or pastries or products containing yeast. Don't have it in your rooms. Please don't have it in your luggage. Please don't have it anywhere. Purge everything. So the only bread we ate that week was this unleavened, like cracker type stuff. And it's really good if you put enough glop on it, but crackers after a while can get old. But there was no, no, no yeast. All bread products served during Passover are unleavened. Now, there's two reasons for this. First, a reminder that the Israelites left Egypt that night under Moses in such haste, they didn't have time to put yeast in their bread to carry with them. And secondly, yeast is also a symbol for sin. So just as yeast works through a whole batch of dough, so sin works through a people and a church and a nation. That's why they were called to purge the sin from their midst, which is why when the Apostle Paul called the Corinthian churches to remove sin from their church, he referred to removing yeast as they had done for the Passover. Because we are to keep the festival, he said, but it's not just ritual. This festival is kept by the way we live. So, he said in verse 6, your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch, as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with the old bread leavened with malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. All this because Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. And people, that's what we're remembering today in communion. Communion comes out of that Jewish Passover festival. Communion, like the Passover, is a memorial meal. Jesus said, do this as often as you eat it in remembrance of me. Now, eating this meal will not forgive your sins. It won't earn you any grace or get you into heaven. But eating this does remind us of the sacrifice of the one who brings our forgiveness. It is a meal like the Passover that was to focus our attention on the need for a sacrifice, our need to be cleansed, and Jesus is that sacrifice. Jews can celebrate the Passover, but if they fail to recognize Christ as the Passover lamb, then their Passover continues to be just ritual. And Christians can observe communion, but if we don't recognize Christ is our Passover lamb in the communion, then our communion is just ritual. Paul called the Christians at Corinth to live like bread with no yeast, a new life, cleansed of sin. Purge the sin from your lives, he said, and from your church before it spreads. Verse 7, get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch, as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Communion reminds us that Jesus is our Passover lamb. How is this so? By way of his sacrifice. Jesus, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. That's why he said in verse 7, get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. 
Many of you are familiar with the name John Muir, naturalist, adventurer, explorer. Many times people equate John Muir's work with the work he did in the West, the American West, particularly in California. But many aren't aware that he also spent concerted time exploring Alaska. In fact, in 1879, he wrote a book about his experiences there called Travels in Alaska. And it was in that book that he wrote about an encounter he had with two Indian tribes, one called the Thinklin Indians, also known as the Stikine Indians, and the Sitka tribe. They had been warring for years, and yet when Muir encountered them, they told them a story about why they had responded to the gospel when missionaries came to share with them the good news of Jesus Christ. And when Muir wrote in his book, he put it like this, the Thalinkit tribe, or the Stikine Indian, gave a hearty welcome to Christian missionaries. In particular, they're quick to accept the doctrine of the atonement because they themselves practice it. Although many of the civilized whites there, it is a stumbling block and an offense. As an example of their own doctrine of atonement, they told Mr. Young and me, Muir's traveling companion, that 20 or 30 years ago, prior to Muir's coming and the missionaries arriving, they were in a fight with the Sitka tribe, great fighters, pretty evenly matched, and after fighting all summer in a desultory, squabbling way, fighting now undercover, now in the open, watching for every chance for a shot, none of the women dared to venture to the salmon streams or berry fields to procure their winter stock of food. At this crisis, one of the Stikine chiefs came out of his blockhouse fort into an open space midway between their fortified camps and, and shouted that he wished to speak to the leader of the Sitkas. When the Sitka chief appeared, he said, my people are hungry. They dare not go to the salmon streams or berry fields for winter supplies, and if this war goes on much longer, most of my people will die of hunger this winter. We fought long enough. Let us make peace. You brave Sitka warriors go home, and we will go home, and we will all set out to dry salmon and berries before it's too late. The Sitka chief replied, you may well say let's stop fighting when you have had the best of it. You have killed 10 more of my tribe than we have killed of yours. So give us 10 sticking men to balance our blood account. Then and not until then will we make peace and go home. Very well, replied the Stikine chief. You know my rank. You know that I'm worth 10 common men and more. Take me and make peace. This noble offer was promptly accepted. The Stikine chief stepped forward, and the Sitka tribe shot him down dead in front of both tribes. Peace was thus established, Muir wrote, and all made haste to their homes in ordinary work. That chief literally gave himself a sacrifice for his people. He died that they might live. Therefore, when missionaries preached the doctrine of atonement, explaining that when all mankind had gone astray, had broken God's laws and deserved to die, God's son came forward and, like the sticking chief, offered himself as a sacrifice to heal the cause of God's wrath and set all the people, excuse me, heal the curse of God's wrath and set all the people of the world free. When they heard that, the doctrine was readily accepted. 
Yes, your words are good, they said. The Son of God, the Chief of Chiefs, the Maker of the world must be worth more than all mankind put together. Therefore, when his blood was shed, the salvation of the world was made sure. Yeah, but that's what Jesus has done for us. And that's the good news message that people all over the world are hearing and receiving when they understand their sin and what it does. The Apostle John once described it like this in 1 John 2, verse 1. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. 1 John 4, verse 9. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. He sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. You see, John used that word a lot, atoning sacrifice. It's the word propitiation. It's a very important word. You see, what it means is God's wrath has to be poured out against sin, whether in my life or yours. There's no exception. But the sacrifice of Jesus propitiated that, meaning it expiated God's wrath. It satisfied God's wrath and justice so that God poured his wrath out on Jesus on the cross so he doesn't have to pour it out on us. That's what happened between those two tribes. The wrath and anger that existed between those two sides was expiated or propitiated when the chief came forward and offered his life in their place to settle the blood account. Peace ensued. You and I have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the sacrifice we're remembering in communion. You see, Paul told the Corinthian believers that we were to live morally upright lives of sincerity and truth because Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. By his blood, we have been saved. We can't see sin the same way anymore. We can't let it be remain in our lives as though we have not been forgiven. And we can't let sin keep destroying others when they're engaged in it and don't see the error of their wrong. And if we don't deal with it, he said, it'll be like a yeast that spreads. So live a life, an unleavened life, he said, of sincerity and truth, not wickedness and malice. And he called them back to remember the Passover night. Now, many of these people in Corinth were not Jews. They were Gentiles. But just like so many of them, we who are Gentiles and Jewish Christians need to remember our heritage. So Paul called them back to remember. Listen to how Moses recounted the night of the Exodus in Exodus 12. Verse 21. Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go at once and select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, a branch that was used like a paintbrush, Dip it into the blood in the basin and put some of the blood on the top and on both sides of the doorframe. None of you shall go out the door of your house until morning. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top and sides of the doorframe and will pass over that doorway. And he will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and strike you down. Obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants. When you enter the land that the Lord will give you, as he promised, observe this ceremony. And when your children ask you, 
what does this ceremony mean to you? Then tell them. It is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. Then the people bowed down and worshiped. The Israelites did just what the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. And at midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on the throne to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the dungeon and the firstborn of all the livestock. People, it must have been one of the most terrifying and liberating nights in human history. Egypt had already been devastated by the prior nine plagues which were poured out against all the false gods of Egypt. God thrashed everyone and showed their bankruptcy. But still, the people would not repent. So God said, I'm going to bring the worst plague of all. The penalty for sin is death. The firstborn are going to die. And there's only one way to be saved. You must take a lamb, a spotless lamb, and shed its blood. And take that blood and put it over the door of your house. And go inside and don't come out till morning. And if you have the faith to believe me and obey God and take that blood of the Passover and put it over your door, then when the destroyer comes through, I will see the blood, and by faith you who are under the blood will have death pass you over. That's exactly what happened that night. Exodus 12, verse 29. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on the throne to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the dungeon and the firstborn of all the livestock as well. Pharaoh and all his officials and all the Egyptians got up during the night, and there was loud wailing in Egypt, for there was not a house without someone dead. The only houses that night that were spared were amongst the people of Israel who believed God and took the blood and by faith came under that blood. Hebrew and Egyptian alike, slave and free, male and female, young and old. The Bible tells us there were many Egyptians who believed as well after what they had seen. And they came to the homes of the Hebrews and they entered in and death passed them over as well. Because all who come under the blood will be saved. It is the Passover. Just shy of three weeks from now, on April 22nd this year, Jews all over the world will be gathering at twilight at sundown to celebrate the Passover again. Our Easter schedule is determined on a totally different schedule than the Passover. Passover is always the 14th of Nisan in the Jewish calendar, the 14th day of the first month of their new year. At sundown, the lambs were to be slaughtered. But it's a needless sacrifice anymore because all of those Passovers pointed to the need for an ultimate sacrifice. Jesus Christ has been sacrificed as our Passover lamb. The question is, have we by faith come under his blood because we believe God? Or are we still outside slaves to our trespasses and sins. Remember, it was during the Passover that Jesus instituted the communion memorial, reminding all who have believed that those who are under his blood, death 
has passed them over. You remember Luke 22, verse 7? Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Verse 14, when the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I will tell you, for I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took cup, the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. You see, that night was to be the last Passover ever observed. Now it would move to its fulfillment. The next day, Jesus was to die on a cross, pouring out his blood and offering his body for the sins of the world. So that now we would gather at a table like this one and we would remember our Passover sacrifice. And in that remembrance, it would change the way we would live that we would not live like the old yeast, the unleavened batch, but we would live as the new bread, indwelt by Christ and filled with him who had no sin. Jesus was not only our sacrifice, but he was the priest who offered it. The sacrifice is complete. There's no need anymore for any more sacrifice. That's what the writer of Hebrews 9 and verse 26 meant when he wrote, otherwise Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But he has appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. You see, that's why in communion we eat this bread and drink this cup until the Lord comes. Why do we need a sacrifice for death to pass us over? Paul told the Romans in Romans 3, verse 23, all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us. We're all guilty. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, separation from God. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's why John wrote in John 3, verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. And in communion, like Passover, we are reminded that we are saved by faith under the blood of another. Many of you may have read things by Rabbi Zacharias, heard him on the radio, read some of his books, seen him on television. 2010, he wrote a book called Has Christianity Failed You? And in that book, he recounted the time on November 26, 2008, when a gang of terrorists storms the Taj Mahal, Taj Mahal Palace Hotel in Mumbai, India. You may remember the carnage left by those terrorists. Two hundred people dead, many, many people injured. 
A reporter interviewed a guest who had been at the hotel dining room for dinner that night, where everyone was mowed down by these terrorists. The guest described how he and his friends were eating dinner when they heard gunshots. Someone grabbed him and pulled him under the table. The assassins came striding through the restaurant, shooting at will until everyone, or so they thought, had been killed. But miraculously, this man survived unhurt. When the interviewer asked the guest how he had lived when everyone else at his table had been killed, he said, I suppose it's because I was covered in the blood of another. Zacharias went on to say, this is the perfect metaphor of God's gift through Jesus Christ to each one of us because he paid the penalty for our sin because we are covered in the blood of his sacrifice, we may have eternal life. People, are you covered by the blood of Jesus? Because if you're not, you are still dead in your trespasses and sins. You're in the house of death like so many in Egypt that night who did not come under the blood. But if you have believed the gospel, the good news, that Jesus Christ died for our sins on a cross, that he was buried in a tomb, rose again the third day, and he's alive, offering hope, forgiveness, and eternal life to those who believe, who believe God and come under his blood, if you believe that, then death will pass you over. In fact, it already has. Death may claim your body, but it will never be able to touch you. Because by grace we are saved through faith. And this not of ourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so no one can boast. Death will pass you over. Paul told the Corinthians, live a life forgiven and set free from the yeast of sin. You've been delivered from that bondage. Live a life not of malice and wickedness. Live the unleavened life of Christ in you, the bread of sincerity and truth. Sin killed Jesus. And it destroys everything it touches. How can you live in it anymore? Verse 6, your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with the old bread leavened with malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Jesus said, this bread is my body. This cup is my blood. It's given for you. Now as often as you eat it, remember me. The Passover lamb, your Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Father, it feels so good to be forgiven. I can't even imagine living today in the sin I used to live in. And I know I still sin, but I have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the atoning sacrifice for my sin. The sin of so many of us in this room. The sin of so many who are listening to my voice right now on that live stream. Wherever we are, here or around the world, Jesus, you are our Passover lamb. You have been sacrificed. 
And as we come to the table of communion today, we're called to remember. Sin is serious. The price has been paid. And while we still all sin, we are never to choose it. We're to never live in it. We are not to live the old unleavened life. We are to be the new unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. God, thank you for that gift. Thank you that we've been set free from sin's bondage and slavery. We now have an advocate, an atonement, a Passover. And we'll thank you for all that we remember today in this time together. In Jesus' name, amen.